Skip beep it. The review podcast. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hi, Bree. Hi, Anthony. Welcome to the Review Podcast. My name is Anthony. And I'm Bree. And this is a podcast in which we review movies. And then we review movies. Oh, yes, we do. Yes, we do. Bree and I choose at least one movie that we've seen at least one time each week, and we watch it and we talk about it the good, the bad, everything in between. We focus more on the good than the bad, though. We don't like to poo-poo. Except on that one movie. Well, okay. You're <laughs> never going to let me let this go. You're never going to let it go. Magnolia is not a bad movie. Yes, it is. Magnolia is not a bad movie. Yes, it's it not is. for me. It's not for you. It doesn't mean it's bad. It was bad. It's not bad. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Gosh. Uh, um, I am having trouble with the placement of my microphone, so... Um, if you hear a doom, 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 that's just because I'm moving my mic, uh, fairly often. Wow. Hi, Brie. Hi, Anthony. How are you today? I'm tired. I fell back asleep this morning. Um, Anthony gets up, well, we both get up at six and so we, and then we feed the dog, um, because he's on a schedule. Anthony like wakes me up, gets the dog out of the cage. I fell back asleep. <laughs> Woke up in time to convince the dog to go eat. Let's preface this by saying our cat, Mittens, she vomited all over the place at five in the morning. And so we had been up cleaning that and then we went back to sleep and it was like we got maybe a half hour because then post vomiting Mittens decided to go up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down on the bed and go to her water bowl, which is in the kitchen, and clang her collar and her little tags on her collar onto the water bowl, what seemed like intentionally loud and uh, continuously. So we were, we had probably just fallen back to sleep and then heard the alarm at 6 a.m. I... So I have a workout today at 9.45. So that means I have to um, leave here at 9.15 so that... Because it takes 15 minutes to get there. Oh, excuse me. I She's yawned. tired. She's a tired I yawned. woman. Um, and then I like to get there 15 minutes early to get my spot. So I like to start... You could start on the treadmill or you could start on the rower. And I like to, I like to run first because I want to get it out of the way. Because I'm a little bit lazier on the rower and, like, floor. Like, I, I run... I put my whole brief self into running. You're talking about Orange Theory. And I went with you to a class once. And, and I, I wanted, hated it. Okay, I wanted him to love it so bad. But Anthony's like, I don't like that people are like, why? I don't like someone's judging you. I was like, well, the coach isn't judging you. She's just, like, telling you what to do. I don't like people on me. It, you know... <laughs> I don't like when people tell me what to do. I like when people encourage me to do things. Like, it's not that I don't respond well to authority. I don't respond well to when people are jerks with authority. So, like, in my places of employment that I, I've encountered, whether that be where I am now, um, student teaching, or when I worked at the ice cream parlor... 
I like I've never encountered anybody in in a position of authority like my boss or something like hounding on me for anything or being mean to me but I just know like when I was in grade school I had teachers that were like very um I would say that they acted like a jerk in my 2022 brain right now. If I look back on it, I'd be like, oh, okay, well, there's probably a method to the madness of the teacher, but I never responded well to when teachers were like hounding on me for stuff. I mean, I like my coaches. They, they give me praise and that's all I need. Mm-hmm. I, like to, I like, I have one coach where, we were and, doing- the, and then they have your heart rate on the screen and it's like, that's even more pressure on you because like, if you, if everyone's in the, what, like blue, what are the colors, the zones? So, it's a gray, which is, you don't want to be in gray. Then, then blue, you don't want to be in blue. Then there's green. You're going to spend if most of the time in, in green. If everyone's in the green and you're in the blue, then you get singled out. Well, it's like work harder. You get your heart rate up. But what if I don't want to work harder? But then why are you there? Because you made me. <laughs> it was so fun. I've been trying to get Anthony to a class. I so my friend. It was for my friend's wedding because her and her fian like her husband now. They really love. They both go to Orange Theory, and they're like, oh, for the bridal party and like their plus ones. We're gonna do an like a group activity on friday and i didn't know what the group activity was at first and so i rsvp'd for the group activity for both myself and anthony and then it came out that it was orange theory and i was like i'm just not gonna tell anthony he's just gonna go you told me about it in public in public (gasps) with your mom there your dad there and my mom there so you couldn't and i couldn't be mad i couldn't publicly be mad but i can bottle it up inside and save it for a rainy day, <laughs> which I am doing. <laughs> that was my so Malala this year. What? Though, that was my Malala this year. And though oh, you yeah. did not freaking try at all. Where did we get that from? Um, that was from... Booksmart. Booksmart, yeah. When they have... um, You can call a Malala. Like, this is the one thing that you can't say no to per year. Have I, I don't think I've called my Malala this year. I completely forgot about that. Okay, Orange Theory was your Malala. Even though you didn't try, so I should I take that try. back. I did try. I was sweating. Yeah, but you never, you didn't even get one splat point. I did. No, you did not. You didn't go to the orange one time. You stayed in the green. And I was like, Anthony, you gotta work harder than that. I was uh, pacing myself. And he even walked on the treadmill. And Anthony's run before. I've seen this man run. I don't we, like running. We went to college together. I've seen this man run on a treadmill. Yeah. Yeah. I remember running next to you on the treadmill in college. You were faster than me, but you're not faster than me anymore. I am fast. I'm very... If I go all out, I am fast. I'm the fastest man alive, Brie. I'm faster. I Um, work out every day. You work out never. What else has been going on with Um, you this week? I've been doing some stuff for our wedding, getting the centerpieces done. My mom said she would buy this, like, wood round thing to put the centerpiece, like decorations on and then she texted me last night and she's like what if instead of this wood circle thing you put everything on a ouija board and i said That's what i would listen okay so and i I'm said no here, let's bit. no let's analyze this if i buy 15 ouija boards 
at like $15 a Ouija. That's an insane amount of money spent on Ouija boards. Yeah, but it'd be fun. Okay, if you can find 15 Ouija boards. I was just at the mall yesterday and I saw a couple of Ouija boards. We're going to a different mall today. I'm sure there will be a few other Ouija boards. But we boards. need 15 Ouija boards. 15 for a decent amount of money. So you never have let me get a Ouija board. I, I You've always said, everybody in my life we has said We still would no. not play it in this house. Everybody in my life has said no to a Ouija board. With a good reason. I remember when I was in high school, I had wanted a Ouija board. And I went to a Catholic high school. So one of our classes our junior year was World Religions. And we were at the end of the school year. And our World Religions teacher for the last unit... Or the last few weeks, he dealt with, like, cults or the occult. And um, I didn't know that the lesson on the occult was happening. And I guess word got around that I had been, like, fiending for a Ouija board. And he looked me dead in the eyes during his lecture. And he's like, don't play with Ouija boards. And so, okay, that was, like, my first red flag. Not to get a Ouija board. And then... My mom has had bad experiences with Ouija boards. When she was a kid, she told me a story once about how um, she had played with a Ouija board and just did like an introduction and um, she was playing with her friend. I think the story was that she was playing with her friend and her friend could not have known the story. I might be, mom, if you're listening, I might be getting the story wrong. There's no way nobody would have known the story. Um, but the Ouija board responded with like, how is your finger? And, um, like she had hurt her finger, like, and one of her uh, dead relatives had, uh, been there when she hurt the finger. It's, it was like a weird story. I'm butchering the story. I mean, However, I don't, I don't I'll get her on the pod to talk I about those stories. I don't doubt the existence of ghosts in the afterlife because my grandmother had a paranormal experience where after my uncle died... Because my uncle died when he was 19, so he was very young when he died. And my grandma said she saw an apparition of my uncle and tell, telling her that he's going to be okay. Well, that's nice. It's not, like, creepy. Because I don't know, like, I know I believe in ghosts. I, I know, like, I don't want to mess with Ouija boards, even though demons were created... Like, what we know now, I don't even want to get into all no, like, this occult No, please, please stuff. do. Okay, so the demons that we know now would not exist if not thought into existence by uber-religious uber people. That's what, okay, so there's this, like, uh, religious theory about, uh, I don't remember where I heard this, but it was, like, hell, the religious theory of Christianity is that hell was just nothingness, right? Like, hell was just, like, being somewhere and knowing that God wasn't there, which is bad enough. But humans wanted it to be so bad that they envisioned hell as like eternal damnation. And now we get the picture of hell where it's like fire and brimstone. It's like humans create these concepts of what's scary. There's this and whole like, like theory in the occult, because if you know me, like I'm, I'm like, I was Catholic, raised Catholic confirmed the Catholic Church, and then kind of defaulted to paganism because I felt like that was more my calling. 
And like there's among the pagan community, I've read this in multiple um, books because, you know, before you can practice witchcraft, you have to be studying witchcraft. Like there's no rules per se, but like among the community, it's like you don't want to cast any spells until you're about five years into your witch journey is which you have like taken a lot of read, read a lot of literature um, and really like know your stuff because you don't want to accidentally cast something black magic. You don't want to do, there's no, I don't believe in black and white magic. It's just magic. Magic is magic. Okay. Cause there are some witches who are like Wiccan, Wiccan and witches are different. Wiccans believe all the tenets of their it's a it's a organized religion wiccan being mm -hmm. wiccan i'm not a wiccan wiccan believes in the rule of threes whatever you do will come back to you three times three threefold like so don't do bad things but what if you cast a spell that is like a death spell you can't die three times or you just die horrifically i guess <laughs> i i mean i'm a part of the sect where it's like is my magic i can do what i want Okay. I could do what I want. Just don't mess up. So Yeah, I told you. I remember when you were, like, getting into the occult and you were, like, doing stuff in our guest room. And I was just like, don't... In I said, no demons around here, Bree. And I said, I, I, don't, I don't... I don't mess with no demons. And my, my religion in paganism doesn't deal with demons. Because that is something... That is specific. I'm sorry. Catholicism and Christianity, you, those are yours. They don't belong to us they are you've created them they are for your religion they we deal with something different in paganism which is a daemon and those are different those are just like they're guys that are up to no good little, but, little pranksters but they're not necessary they're not the demons that exist in the catholic and christian religion well, like demons are just out in and Without I think Catholicism, demons are just out to, like, serve the devil. Yes, right? which means, like, if you're not a person who follows that religion, then they're not going to come after you. They're coming after, like, Catholic and Christian people, mm -hmm. th those who believe in the Christian God. So, like, me, who worships not the Christian God. Non-theistic? Like... Have you ever heard of an exorcism in a family that wasn't uber-religious? No. My point. <laughs> Case and point. Every movie about exorcism is usually about, like, Christian or Catholicism more specifically. Because they Roman exist Catholic. within their religion. Our dog yeah. is crying. There's probably another dog walking across the street or something. Oh, if it's our neighbor and her little Yorkie, I swear. She lets that Yorkie just loose and kaido goes bonkers well kaido used to look around. like that yorkie when he was i baby. know he used to be a little little guy what a weird direction this podcast has been <laughs> heading in we've covered so much from uh wedding to uh the well, occult the, okay but our wedding has a lot of occult stuff in it like i worked i i painted wine bottles black and then on each of the wine bottles i put a tarot card like, and it took me forever. Oh, my God. <laughs> you used the cricket. Yes, I did. And I, I, the only, like, witchcraft I'm, like, confident enough to do, 
so far is tarot. Like that's the only like witchcraft I do really in besides cleansing and like collecting crystals is tarot, which I gave everyone a tarot reading at my bachelor party. It was a lot of fun. So, okay. Um, how you're the expert in tarot. Mm -hmm. How likely is it that the predictions come true? Well, you're kind of with tarot. They're depending on the skill of the the person. Like they're they're supposed to be like accurate. Mm -hmm. And like when I when I pull tarot cards, it's like I say, okay, I'm gonna do a three card reading. Which three card readings are kind of like beginner, and because I'm not I'm not pulling out a huge spread, especially when I was reading like seven people. Um, I was like, okay, do you want me to go over just like general life? Do you want me to do career, love? What what do you want? And a lot of people chose love to get their reading on. And it's more about like, okay, so right now this is how you are feeling. Which almost everyone got like something about, you know, not being in a relationship right now. Except for the two people who were engaged and the one person who was married. Like, those people obviously didn't get cards that said something about them being like in a rut or like alone right now sad. i'd be sad if i was at your but it was like party. talking about like what are you ready right now you're ready for like commitment you're ready for finding someone out like someone there for you but you're the tarot card reader so are you like subconsciously saying it's about relationships or well no when you you set the intention when you pull the cards oh Okay. This is a this is a pull for love and you shuffle the cards and what happens is when you shuffle the cards the cards that jump out are the cards that you pull for the reading. You don't just pull off the top. That's not how you do tarot. It's like you shuffle and the cards come and they they pop out at you. Who's the guy in the tarot with all the swords? I don't have a traditional tarot deck. Oh, okay. I have um I have like a tarot deck that's just like all animals. And when nature. I when I had, I think I still have the card. When I was graduating, I think you have the seven of swords. The seven of swords, yeah. And I don't know what it means. So I know you explained it to me at one point before, but um, when I was in my senior year of high school, like right before graduation, one of the teachers at the school was saying goodbye to our senior class, and he came in and he gave everybody a tarot card that was signed by him. And it was like, just interpret it any way you want to interpret it. And um, I still have the card, I think. And I, I think, think it's it, the Seven I, of Swords. I think and the Seven of Swords fits you. Are as you Googling it's, it? I, I have just had to like, it's use your wits and diplomacy and not use aggression, which Yo. is how you go across your whole life. I do. I do. Use I, diplomacy and not aggression when mm -hmm. you when you get into conflicts. Wow. So I feel like the seven of swords really fits you. Yeah. And does it matter if it was like right side up or upside down? Um some people read reverse, some people don't. So like it's up to the person who's pulling the deck. I do read reverse. Um I still need my cheat sheet when I read. Because I'll I'm, have to I'll have to tell him because we work very closely now because I work at the same school I went to high school and um, we work very closely now. I talk to him like om almost every day, so I'll have to tell him about that. That that'd be a fun story to let him in on. I don't know. I I feel like this is an appropriate movie to talk about the occult. 
Oh, sure. Yeah. Wow. Natural transition yeah. <laughs> into what we're doing. We're about 20 minutes into the pod. Um, wow. So, Brie, what are we doing today? We are reviewing our first Meryl movie. Oh, Death yes. Becomes uh, let, her. Let, let's back up and um, reintroduce because we're on to the second part of our actor series. Last week, we covered 1995's Billy Madison starring Adam Sandler, as that was my choice to cover for our actors series, the works of Adam Sandler. And Brie has chosen the works of... Meryl Streep. Oh, Meryl. We love Meryl. We do. We love Meryl. Um, have you told the people what your movies are going to be? Yeah. Okay, so we're starting with... Death Becomes Her. And then moving into... After Death Becomes Her, we are moving into... I believe the Devil Wears Prada. Okay. And then it's complicated. It's right? complicated. And then you're undecided on the fourth one. Yes, which it's between a couple. I think where I struggle is like I want to get like a Meryl fun movie, but I also want to give a Meryl like nominated movie. I think this was a Meryl fun movie though. I think we did the Meryl fun movie. I love Meryl doing I love when Meryl does not like her normal stuff. Because I feel like you get like these gems. I thought this is a gem of a movie. I love it. It's just, I enjoyed it. It's just like it has a cult following. It's like really funny. So I read on uh, doing my little background information. I usually read the Wikipedia page. I read the IMDb page. I don't, I don't. I don't do extensive research, you know. But the Wikipedia page said this movie has a um, cult following amongst the LGBT plus community. Do uh, you want to shed some some light into that? What I I. I not being a member of that community, uh, I, I am a little confused, I guess. I don't really see, um, I don't really see how this could have, like... Goldie and Meryl are lovers. Okay. Well, the, I was telling him, I was like, they, they're, they've been together for 37 years. Mm -hmm. Like at the end of the movie, they've been taking care of each other for 37 years. They bicker like an old married couple. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm just curious. That's so, I mean, I mean, I'm part of the LGBT, I'm part of the LGBT, <laughs> but. <laughs> Ally. That's you. Yeah. <laughs> ally. I'm a member of the LGBTQ community and this is my friend Valentina. She's an ally. Say hi, Valentina. Ally. <laughs> but um i don't know like i never thought of it I, i'm not like i never thought of it that way but i, I love you could, a good movie can be interpreted in many different ways right like the themes and... i mean it's not like rocky horror that's obviously like an lgbtq oh, yeah. movie like it's yeah. obviously well yeah like the main character in Rocky Horror is trans. <laughs> like, um, so we're covering Death Becomes Her, 1992, starring Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn and Bruce Willis, and uh, directed by Robert Zemeckis, written by uh, David Kapp, who also then went on to. This movie has a lot of connections to Jurassic Park, which is interesting that you chose this because Jurassic Park is like your favorite movie has a lot of interesting connections to Jurassic Park. Um, so why don't I get into a little bit of background? Go ahead. Maybe I'll cover some stuff now. Maybe I'll interrupt us as we um, 
as we watch or as we oh god as we talk about the movie um so oh shoot i got a lot of notes just like mixed up in different places okay directed by robert zemeckis the film comes out in 1992 <clears throat> makes a decent amount of money we have meryl streep goldie hahn bruce willis um <clears throat> i asked you if and I guess I'm an idiot. I might be stupid for asking this question because the the do you want to explain like the overall plot of the movie? Just like a very quick synopsis of the movie. Two rival <laughs> women who are friends from childhood. Um, we have Helen Sharp and Madeline Ashford. Is it Ash? I don't. I don't know. Oh, okay, <clears throat> I put a D at the end, but I think it's not. It's like Ashton or something. Um. Like, Madeline is always stealing Helen's men. And she's st so Helen takes her, her Dr. Ernest Menville, the plastic surgeon, to one of Madeline's shows. And she's just it's her, telling... It's her husband. They're like newlyweds or something, right? No, they're the fiance. Fiance, fiance. And um, she's like, I wanted to bring you to meet her because I want to see if you could avoid, you know, her, like... The trap of, like, she always steals all my men. She Madeline does end up stealing Ernest because he's a plastic surgeon. She wants the she wants the free surgery. He's, like, a renowned plastic yeah, surgeon. Yeah, she wants the, the surgery. Um, there's a, Just a quick synopsis. You don't have to go through every little okay, detail. Okay, and so they're, like, rivals. And then they both, you know, drink a magic potion Magic potion makes you young. Makes them young. Makes you immortal, essentially. And it makes them immortal, and their only task is to take care of their bodies, and the women don't. And that's where we get the whole story. Fantastic synopsis. You know, this movie has a lot of different connections to both of our favorite movies, really. We have some connection to Jurassic Park, but we also have some connection to Halloween, which we'll get into a little bit later. Um... The special effect, bless you, bless Sorry. you, bless you, bless you. Um, the special effects in the movie. What do you think about them? Um, they were very of the time. Very of the time, but like if I'm sitting in the theater in 1992, what? Uh, let, okay, so you're seeing this movie for the first time. In I'd be like, wow, this is yeah. cool. Like, this is a good special effect. Yeah. Um, the company that did the um special effects was ILM Industrial Lights and Magic. Um, have you heard of them before? I have not. They um, have done a lot of special effects for a lot of different movies. Most notably, <clears throat> sorry, most notably doing the special effects and computer generation and animatronics for Jurassic Park. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that they do in this movie is kind of like a precursor to what they do in Jurassic Park because they start filming Jurassic Park like a year after this movie comes out. So a lot of the um, visual effects in this movie kind of pioneered the way for future ILM movies like Jurassic Park to uh, kind of solidify what they're known for. Because they do practice a lot of like dress. So we'll put it this way. When we talked about Jurassic Park for the first time on the podcast like months ago, months ago, months ago. One of our first episodes was Jurassic Park. We talked about how they had originally wanted to do fully animatronic dinosaurs, right? Yeah. But then they started mixing the animatronics with 
computer-generated visual effects. And it was, like, the first time we had, like, a full movie that was very heavily CG, very heavily visual effects. While ILM takes a lot of the concepts that they do with the visual effects for Jurassic Park, and in 1992, before Jurassic Park comes out, they use Death Becomes Her to kind of practice those and you can tell they 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 do a lot of cool stuff with the effects for this movie which was actually pretty good so here's what the imdb page said um because i did a little i looked at the uh, trivia portion of the imdb page um so industrial lights and magic used a mixture of prosthetic effects blue screen effects which is like one of the first times that blue screen had been used um it's very early blue screen technology um and uh, animatronics as well. So, for example, when uh, Meryl Streep takes the potion and her uh, she gets younger and uh, I, I, how do I want to, in a family-friendly way... Her boobies I, get yeah. um, perky, her butt gets perky. Right, they used a prosthetic bra for that. It was like a, like a rigged bra. That's um, cool. In the scene where Meryl Streep has her neck uh, uh, twisted and she's walking backwards and she doesn't realize that she's walking backwards, Meryl Streep had to wear a blue screen hood while walking in reverse, walking backwards, um, in order to get that effect because everything was like visual. It was visual effects and uh, this is the first movie to really pioneer using um computer generated skin texture too so i had asked you and i might be an idiot for asking about this and i am an idiot because we later googled it i said was meryl streep older making this movie and we said she was like in her 40s she's in her 40s yeah so the movie comes out like 30 years ago and she's like in her 40s and i was like is meryl streep like in her 40s and is being digitally altered throughout the majority of this movie or it like is she young and is that makeup um so what it would have it would have been sm- older. Okay, I'll I'll throw this out there. I think it would have been smarter if they had casted younger women and aged them up instead of older women and aged them down. I think so too because it seems like but Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep were big names. Yeah, yeah. It it seems like because when Meryl Streep's character takes the potion and she gets younger, that's like maybe 30 minutes into the movie. So the next like hour and 15 minutes of the movie, Meryl Streep is her skin texture is digitally altered to make her look younger. And there's like as we watch the movie, especially like on our big TV that we have, um I, as after I asked that question and further watching the movie, I was like, okay, I can notice the digitally altered or the uh, uh, the, the computer generated skin texture making her look younger because she almost, in our day and age, it almost looked like a deep fake to me. Like you can tell that she was acting, but there was like they were messing with her post production. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So. It's the first movie to use computer-generated skin texture, which seems like a ton of work. But if you compare that with what they do today in terms of, like, aging down actors for, like, Star Wars or Marvel or something, 
this is kind of the pioneer in the de-aging of your actors. What do you think about that? Do you think... Um, are you a fan of like when Marvel and Star Wars I'm use a fan digital when, technology? I'm to a fan of when um, Star Wars does it because I feel like Mark Hamill deserves to play Luke Skywalker forever. Yeah, but like other than that, it's like just hire younger actors. Mm-hmm. You but so they tried that with Han Solo, and <laughs> it didn't I, really work. I, I, even though I liked Solo, I like Solo. I just think that actor was the wrong cast. I don't think he looked enough like Harrison Ford. Mm-hmm. If you're gonna hire someone who like okay. Kathleen Kennedy had said, like, she's like, we learn from our mistake. We're not hiring new actors to play these characters anymore. Hear, hear me out. Okay. Sebastian Stan, Luke Skywalker. Yeah, I know. People are like, Sebastian Stan look, looks like Mark Hamill. They look identical. Like, Mark Hamill has said it himself. Like, that man looks uncan- like uncanny like me. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I don't understand why they couldn't find a Harrison Ford lookalike. A Harrison Ford type. Like, oh my gosh. Marvel has done the de-aging stuff with, like, Robert Downey Jr. and Civil War. Um, oh, God, they recently did it, didn't they, with something? I'm glad that they didn't with Tobey Maguire in um, just let him be Spider-Man. Yeah, just let him be old. And oh, the Alfred Molina. They, they de-aged Alfred Molina for Dr. Octopus. <laughs> and uh, You can't see, but I'm like... She's dude. doing the, like... She's doing like a crab motion where with her claws, even though he's an octopus. <laughs> Those are his octopus things. Oh, okay. <laughs> he's doing like fi- it's the it's that video where Alfred Molina on the set. <laughs> it's a video of Alfred Molina on the set of Spider-Man Two with all of the tentacles uh, doing Fiddler on the Roof. If I was a rich man. <laughs> um. Anyway, so digitally, this is the first movie that kind of digitally de-ages people, um, which is kind of cool. Everything's used uh, a little bit later when ILM works on Jurassic Park, and so we have that little connection there between Death Becomes Her and Jurassic Park. I knew I liked this movie for a reason. Um, Also, uh, Robert Zemeckis, the director, would say a quote uh, throughout film. I read this on the IMDb trivia page, and I thought it was interesting. Let's see if you can figure out... There's a quote that's used uh, very uh, notably in Jurassic Park that Robert Zemeckis would say on set, like pretty often, that the writer of the movie, who then went on to write Jurassic Park, um, put into the movie because Robert Zemeckis used to say it often during the filming of Death Becomes Her. Do you want to take a guess on what the quote is? Notable quote from Jurassic Park. Life uh, finds a way. That's a that's well. I mean, that's a good guess. Um. Notable quotes. Notable quotes. Why is my brain blinking? I don't know. It's like your favorite movie, right? I know. <laughs> my brain is blinking. You get one more try. No. Give me unlimited try. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like blanking. I've watched Jurassic Park like probably 30 times in my life. Just think of notable quotes. Oh my God, no. Life finds a way is a good guess. I know. Clever girl's an- another. Cle- clever girl. Oh, that's a really good guess. It's not it. Give her a moment. No, just tell me. Hold on to your butts. <laughs> That's not a notable That's quote. That's a notable quote. No, it's not. Yeah. Oh, come on. That's a notable quote. Everybody knows. Hold on to your butts. Um, <clears throat> Meryl Streep originally assumed that the role of Helen was for her, 
when she was offered um, the movie. And she originally considered Madeline to be too cartoony, too over the top. But she said that the role was too original to pass up. So she took it. Um, the movie did win Best Visual Effects at the Oscars the following year. And... Which it deserved. The production history, uh, from what I read very briefly, was that it kind of sucked to film because there were so many digital effects and like alterations that had to be made um, in post-production. So it's like in Marvel when um, the actress that played Miss Marvel did an AMA on Reddit and she was like most recently and they're like, how, like, what are the conditions of filming with Marvel? And she's like, you're acting towards nothing. She's like, it's really weird because they tell you to react to things that aren't there. And that's what Meryl Streep kind of said about filming this movie. They're like, she goes, they tell you, like, you're going to act like Goldie Hawn is right in front of you and swinging a shovel. And she's like, it's really hard to act towards nothing. Um, the people, uh, the the cast that filmed Jurassic Park kind of said the same thing. Like, Jeff Goldblum made a note in an interview where he's just like, Steven Spielberg would tell us, like, react as if there was a dinosaur there. You're, you're acting towards nothing, which is really tough. And Meryl Streep um, said that that was kind of difficult to do. Um and she did not like all of the um, visual effects that had to go into it. And she, at this point, uh, post-Death Becomes Her, swore off movies with uh, enhanced digital effects. And said, I'm not doing any more of those. But I think she does later on. she did Into the Woods. Into the she, Woods. That's what I was thinking. And she's like a witch in Into the Woods. Yeah, so it obviously that um, promise did not last. Well, but, now that like almost every movie has... But then if has... you go into like a, a lot of her filmography, you'll see that she does do a lot of movies that don't require a lot. They require maybe some makeup, but no, nothing like crazy with visual or digital effects. Um, What else in terms of background history the ending was changed um post-production because they filmed it or they screened it for a test audience and the initial ending was a little bit more of a happier ending in which um uh oh god what's the bruce willis character name Ernest. Ernest survives and he goes on to um he goes on to marry somebody and live like a happy life and then the uh, the two women are like happy for him and things like that. That's how it ends. Uh, the test audience didn't like it, and Robert Zemeckis went for a darker ending in which they shatter to pieces. Well, they make fun of him too, like ah. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, kind of some cool little background tidbits of of history there for Death Becomes Her. What do you think about the casting? I love. Well, this is like I feel like. Goldie Hawn's big at this time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think she had just won an Academy Award around this time, too, for like best, as either best actress or best supporting actress. And like, I grew up watching this movie because my mom's like a huge um, Goldie Hawn and Kurt Russell fan. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Goldie Hawn. So I knew that she was married to Kurt Russell and had. A kid with him Wyatt Russell who is in a bunch of different things um but I didn't know she's also like Kate Hudson's mom they look identical how did you not know I did not know that 
She looks just like her mom. I didn't know that. <laughs> I was I I found that out in my like quick googling of this movie. And Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn have been together for a long since time. like the 80s, yeah. Well, they Aww. Well, you know, I think the they play like Santa and Mrs. Claus in that like mm-hmm. one Christmas movie. Oh yeah, the one that's on Netflix. Yes. Mhm. Uh, so kind of some interesting, uh, things here, casting, uh, Meryl in this role. What do you think? Um, Meryl's an interesting choice. It's not a Meryl role. It's very uncharacteristic of Meryl. She's how we know Meryl today. She's over the top. She's kind of like a ham. Yeah. I did say that to you while we were watching the movie. I'm like, she's hamming it up in this role. Um, she's very like cartoony over the top and, um, but I think that's what the role required. I don't think... So remember when we did Magnolia and mm-hmm. we talked about Julianne Moore in Magnolia being like overly melodramatic in her performance of that. Sometimes the movie calls for you to go over the top. Like this movie called for Meryl to be a little bit more animated, over the top, like... That's part of the character of Madeline to be like kooky and zany and like kind of this cartoony villain almost. Do you think Goldie Hawn was cast properly in this movie? I don't. I think I might have switched Meryl and Goldie. So you would have put Meryl in like the more serious like cunning role? And Goldie Hawn in the uh, oh, think about the cartoony well, villain role. Oh, sorry, think about Goldie play how Goldie played her character in Overboard, mm-hmm. and how that's like a really similar like you know like balloon headed character. Sure, yeah. Except one at the end of Overboard where she's like, "It's my money, mm-hmm. I'm the rich one." Sure. Um. I don't know. I liked it. I liked them in this role. I just, I, I, I wouldn't change much about it. The only thing I think I have an issue with is, uh, not that it's much of an issue because he's great. Bruce Willis in this role as, uh, Ernest, I looked at you multiple times and I was like, do you think that they wanted Rick Moranis for this role? Cause I kind of think that like Robert Zemeckis or whoever casted this movie probably saw Little Shop of Horrors like years prior and was like, I want that energy. I want the Rick Moranis energy. Because Rick Moranis kind of plays the same like manic and like losery character in Little Shop of Horrors and Ghostbusters. And Bruce Willis plays that character in this movie always like, oh my God, I can't believe everything's happening and like very distressed all the time and like again over the top with it so it it to me is like uncharacteristic of bruce willis to be in this role because like we know bruce willis to be like an action star versus versus rick moranis who plays that role i feel like they aged up bruce willis so much i feel like they did too like they made bruce willis seem so old Mm -hmm. bruce willis seems younger now than he did in this movie but it's nice to have a Bruce Willis in this movie that cares. Because, like, more recent Bruce Willis, like, in the past, like, I don't know, 10, 15 years, like, since, like, 2006, has not cared. <laughs> <laughs> he just, like, doesn't care. And it, it, it shows. Um, 
So I, I think that Bruce Willis is a little miscast here, even though he does a fine job. Um, upon my further review, I found out that Rick Moranis wasn't even mentioned at all in like Who me. Who was re- gonna play? Yeah, they wanted Kevin Klein, and Kevin Klein denied, and then they wanted Jeff Bridges, and Jeff Bridges denied too. So they went with Bruce Willis. And I don't know, they had to have told him, you got to play Rick Moranis. (laughs) To me, this is like a perfect Rick Moranis role. But, you know, I digress. Was Rick Moranis retired at this point? I don't know. Because I know he retired from film for a while. Um, But I don't don't know when. Because then he did Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And I don't know when that came out. Uh... Gosh, I'm going off on a... I like Honey, We Shrunk the Kids. Yeah, yeah. Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Yep. You just be shrinking people. <laughs> Stop shrinking me. I like the Honey, We Shrunk the Kids because I remember being like terrified of bugs. Well, I'm still... <laughs> baby cakes, I'm still <laughs> terrified of bugs. Because they just be like existing with big bugs. Yeah, yeah. I oh. can't... So... I know that there's a um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids ride. Been on it. At Disney, and I can't do it because I know that there's, like, big bugs. I've been there. But I also went to things that had big bugs, too. Like, I closed my eyes at the Harry Potter ride at Universal Studios because there's a giant giant spider that spits in your face. Um, And then there's, like, the, uh, uh, gosh, what is it called? The... um, um, King Kong ride that has bugs in it, which I didn't really notice because that's they're all over the place. We had a fun time, um, in Disney and Universal. Yeah, we're getting off topic though, so let's continue. I thought the movie kind I, I, I meant I mentioned this to you while we were watching it, and I said, I think that the movie is like meant to look shitty. And it's, like, meant to look campy and, like, weird. Yeah. Um, Death Becomes Her is camp. Yes. Like, very much so. It's meant to be over the top. It's meant to look campy. I said, it's it's this, like, 90s... um, How do I want to word this? It's a 90s... Very 90s thing that happened where they just be letting anybody make movies about anything in the 90s because this is such a wild concept this is such it's an original concept it's an original movie and do you think that this movie could be made today i mean do you think it would be as like it wouldn't be as like it wouldn't be i mean how many people know death becomes her is it that popular of a movie not really but it's like the first movie that popped into my head when i thought of meryl okay but that's because yeah, to, who was I raised by? Honestly, I think that this movie would struggle if it was made today. We don't have movies as mainstream and original as this anymore. And it's like in the '90s, we had that all the time. The '90s were almost like a renaissance for, um, like original ideas being funded and put into film. You know what I mean? So. Like, the way that it's filmed, I thought was interesting. 
it's also a 90s thing to do where like your sound mixing and your sound design is like not great because i pointed out to you throughout the movie he said we can hear you can hear the echo in the rooms that they're in you can tell that they're on a set you can tell that they're probably in the universal studios back lot um and you can tell like you're in sound design you're not supposed to hear the echo coming off of the actors but i think it works here in this movie because it's supposed to be camp you know what I mean? I think it works because it's supposed to be like intentionally. Uh, it kind of like we talked about Beetlejuice, right? Like Beetlejuice I, was to so, it, it meant to look intentionally cheap. And I feel like okay, so we start off this movie, and at the beginning of this movie, it doesn't look intentionally cheap yet because we start off Broadway, nineteen seventy-eight. Madeline's putting on her little like songbird performance is the name of the show and like people are leaving saying how terrible i did not think it was that bad i didn't think it was that bad either i was like meryl sounds good and anthony's like do you think that's meryl actually singing i was like well meryl's been in two like musical productions she was in mama mia and she was in into the woods so i think yes that is her voice i mean she's not the best singer she's not terrible um it it's assumed that like People are leaving because she's an, she's older for the role. and Oh, really? I didn't get that. Yeah, they said it's, it's like the living dead or something. Someone walked out of the show saying something like that. Oh, okay. Like, she's old. For This is 1978. So, Meryl... In the movie, I think it's supposed to be assumed that she's, like, 50, right? Like, by the time we're at, like, what is present day. Yeah, so it's, it's pro- she was probably, like, in her 30- late 30s for this role which would be older no no because 14 years pass afterwards so she had to be in her late 20s which is not that old like we're in our late 20s i feel like hollywood <laughs> but like 19 it's supposed to be like 1970s like how did they view I have no like idea. women's youth and beauty at that time it, it seems like she's very much obsessed with beauty because that's when we get Helen Sharp and Ernest Menville have come to watch the show and Ernest is just like mesmerized by her performance. They go behind um, to meet her and Helen and Man and they have this rivalry Um, like Madeline's known for stealing like all the romantic prospects of Helen and she's just like, and Helen tells Ernest, like, I just don't want you to, like, you have to pass the Madeline test because most men will leave me for, like, her. And Ernest was like, I would never do that. And then he's the also next. A plastic, we mentioned this, right? Yeah, he's, he's a plastic, plastic surgeon. surgeon. And then literally the next scene is he marries Madeline. Yeah, that was pretty. <laughs> I love that editing. Or they do that a couple times in this movie where it's like, I will never marry Madeline. And then it's like, dun, 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 dun. it's like the, the wedding. And we immediately go to um, the punchline. Yeah. And we see in the wedding scene, after they walk past, we see Helen and she's holding like a handkerchief and she's made herself bleed because she's like holding it so tightly. And then we do a seven year, a seven year time skip, like right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put Goldie Hawn in a fat I, suit. Yo, I wrote that down. I was like, they put Goldie Hawn in a 
fat suit because they didn't show her at first. But then I was like, oh, my God, Brie, is that Goldie Hawn in a fat suit? I said, I believe so. <laughs> and I feel like, OK, what do, you, so, what do you think about? I hate fa- I hate fat suits. Yeah, I was just about to ask. Uh, it's fat phobic. Um, also, almost all fat suits, they put a goiter. And I've talked to you about this. Goiters aren't like a fat people thing. It's genetic. Like goiters are gen- like genetic. Like not all like fat people get goiters. Mm-hmm. And it's like and some skinny people have goiters because they're genetic. I can't remember what the last movie I saw was that used like a modern movie that used a fat suit. I think we're over it. Um, Thor used a fat suit. Thor used a fat suit, didn't they? Didn't they use... Oh, yeah, an endgame. I forgot about that. They did put him in a fat suit. Mm-hmm. But I think that's more practical than putting that... I mean, they... I It wasn't to like... To put Liam... Like... Chris Hemsworth. Chris Hemsworth. Sorry, I said his brother. Um, Chris Hemsworth, like, he stays in shape, like, to the ninth degree. To put him on a diet to make him actually fat, it would be so unhealthy for him. So... Mm-hmm. And it's not like they put him in, like, a huge fat suit it wasn't like nearly oh my god like gwyneth paltrow in um shallow hal it's not nearly as like horrible horrible as that um well goldie's like crazy she's obsessed with lady obsessed with having lost ernest and i don't get it ernest is like fairly like bland nothing special about Ernest, and And you got these two like beautiful women fighting over this like very average man yeah and so she kind of goes crazy um and she goes to like a mental institution and then we seven year time skip again well the the doctor says uh you have to eliminate your um obsession with helen and Ernest, and she just hears eliminate helen no eliminate (laughs) madeline oh yeah sorry uh madeline so she uh wants to eliminate helen or no madeline god and then then we seven year time skip again to where we're now in 1992 and we get present day Ernest. he's like madeline wakes up which is meryl's character and she's like in this whole binding thing to keep her face young and her Ernest side of the bed isn't disturbed and she's like I, I don't think Ernest woke up and made his side of the bed. And it's like, where'd he sleep? And the maid points upstairs. And he's a drinker. He's unhappy because Madeline's mean. She And he's now a mortician. Who's the villain of this movie? Ernest. Whoa, hang on. Wait, Ernest is the villain? I would say Ernest Why? is the villain. He's the reason these women are fighting. I don't know if I would say... Uh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. Hang on. We got to Okay, let's this. let's dissect this for a second. Yeah. Ernest is in a committed relationship with Helen. Yeah, I know. He does like a sh- shitty thing. And he says, "I'm not going to leave you." And then he leaves Helen for Madeline. And then he leaves Madeline for Helen. Like he's the Wait, evil. Later, yeah. yeah, he's evil. So he's the reason that they're fighting and they're in this situation in the first place. I guess you can boil it down to And Ernest. he's the one who kills... I was more saying, like, do you think Helen or Madeline is no. the villain? Like, which one do you think is more villainy? No, they they acknowledge that they were both the villain. May- yeah, okay, sure. But I feel like the overall villain is Ernest. Unintentionally. 
I, or I was, is he or is he just like he's woman hopping and yeah. he's he's picking the most he's, attractive he's woman is he victimizing himself yeah. as like um poor me yeah poor me i was in love with helen and i didn't marry her because i like the pretty one but now and Helen's now i'm pretty again and, but now i'm miserable and helen's here and she's beautiful so i'm gonna leave madeline because she's getting old and she's mean for helen but we can't just divorce oh well you're spoiled i know don't get into it right now (laughs) but Um, it's just he's the villain okay i I would be on board with that um so progress uh, move move on okay um goldie hunt in a fat suit time skip uh we have still they get invited to like um helen's book like signing and so in preparation for that madeline goes to like the plastic surgery office and they're kind of like you can't get a blood replacement you've already had one it's too dangerous and it's like this place where it's full of like just people like getting their blood drawn and like all like pieced back together and i wrote down i feel like this is what the right wing like in america thinks that hollywood is doing right now <laughs> like getting, no it's true it's true it's like getting blood transplant the elite the, the elite the hollywood elite the deep state brie i feel like get they, your head out of the i feel like sheeple. they i feel like they watch death becomes her and it's like that's exactly what they're doing tom hanks eats babies <laughs> elvis is still alive so is jfk <laughs> No, the the thing was uh, JFK's brother, or no, his son, right? JFK <laughs> Jr. was going to come back and announce that he was Donald Trump's running mate. I think that's what it was. I and was like, every, I, like, QAnon, okay, like, I, I would just, was I like, would, oh, my God. I would just like to say, whatever they are on, <laughs> share. <laughs> what the? Okay, I never. All, all you QAnon, Snyder Cut incels. Okay, okay. But listen, like. <laughs> I there's been some conspiracy theories like that I've some conspiracy into. theories are worthwhile, but others are just like so bomb. Okay, I would I would wrong. sooner I would sooner believe that the Discovery Channel mermaids fake documentary was real was real than a person who has died is coming back to life. What okay, so what is your conspiracy theory that you like? This is the hill that you'll die on. This is uh, what I truly believe. Oh, my God. Do you know what? We had the same conversation at my bachelorette party. Oh, yeah. And everyone was doing that birds aren't real. <laughs> birds aren't real? <laughs> we all... know birds are real, though. It's like they're, they're all drones. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's the JFK. Assa- I got to go with the JFK assassination that I-, I think there was something fishy there. I think there were two shooters. I, I don't know, man. Like, I w- I've watched the Zapruder film, like, a bajillion times, and it does, doesn't add up, Brie. It doesn't add up to me. What well, about you? What about you? You never gave me an answer. What is the, uh, she's staring at a dust particle flying in the air. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, I like to think myself smarter than conspiracy theories. What about the moon landing? I happened. We went to the moon. Yeah. Why would we fake going to the moon? Because the president promised it. But like, why would we fake going to the moon? I don't know why it's like a big deal. 
Also, like, the moon is so 1969. Yeah. We, who cares about the moon? Who cares about the moon now? Um, what was it, the conspiracy theory that I read once about the, like, what they thought that the pandemic was? That it was, like, the asteroid test that... Um, oh God, I can't remember the conspiracy. It was on Reddit at one point. Um, the theory was that the government wanted to prep people and plan out a test for if there was an asteroid heading to Earth, how to get people like to not riot and like go crazy by keeping them inside. It was like something like that. I can't remember what the whole thing was, but it was like, I don't believe it. But it was, like, fun to read, I guess. <laughs> Fiction. Uh, anyway, back to the movie. Shoot, where were we? Um, they get invited to the book signing from Helen. She wrote a book, and now they go to the book signing. Oh, well, no, prior at to the, At the plastic surgery place, that's where Madeline gets the card from the weird guy who is like he got like a little twitch um about like oh here's someone to go to if you really want to look young and she's like she rips up the card and says that that guy's a weirdo which i would agree he was acting like a little kind of weird i said weird guy um and we get like the next cut is like they're in madeline and ernest are in like a car and she's like could you just like not breathe <laughs> and I was like, "Ooh, she really can't stand this guy." And they get to this like book event, and um, they are like, "Where is she?" Blah blah blah. And Madeline's like, looks over, and she thinks she sees her from the back, but then the person moves out of the way, and there, Helen is. She's beautiful, slender in a red dress. She looks beautiful, and um. I wrote down, Ernest is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> and both these women are dumb because they're fighting over this, like, ugly guy. I'm like, no offense to Bruce Willis. I don't think he's attractive. Okay. Especially not in this movie where he dresses like an old guy. There's a there's a particularly good shot in this scene that I actually drew out the... The but, shot. but Helen be playing a game here because she whispers in both oh. Ernest and Madeline's ear saying like I don't blame you for what the other person did well see I'm playing both sides so that whoever wins I always come out you're on not top. supposed to say you're playing <laughs> both sides so um I wrote I, I actually drew out the shot of that I noticed in this movie it's when um Helen is in the foreground and she's off to the left side of the camera and we see like her her neck up and she's talking to Madeline but in the background you see Ernest standing there like staring at them and I thought that that was a really cool shot because you get the sense of like Ernest still is not over even though he is like the subject of what they're talking about he's in the background like watching them and I think that that was a really cool... Zemeckis does some cool stuff with the camera in this movie. I told Brie, you know, when we were watching it, that Zemeckis is very good at filming distress and distressful characters. So, like, whenever Bruce Willis is running around and it's not a wide angle that Zemeckis uses, but it's 
emphasis on chaos in the background, fast camera movements, and very close up distress on your actor's face. And I think that's a really cool and interesting way to film chaos and uh, your character being scared or worried and things like that. So there's some cool stuff with the camera in this movie, too. Um, then we get, like, uh, Ernest is obviously, you know, talking with Helen. And they. so when he gets home with Madeline... Uh, Madeline goes to see her lover, which is like a young, like, pool boy. He's like, you're old. Yeah, he, like, tells her something about, like, how we don't look good together because, like, you're old, blah, blah, blah. So she's, like, driving in the rain and she's crying. And she gets into, like, this, well, she doesn't get into an accident, but she, like, slams on her brakes and stuff in the rain. And then she finds that business card. And she goes to this weird. It's like a. It's like the castle from Rocky castle. Horror. Yeah. yeah, and at this like, she goes and meets this weird lady, who's like. I don't think she wears a top the entire no. movie. She's like, "How old do you think I am?" And Meryl goes like. 38 and the woman looks so offended so uh, there's a little tidbit of trivia she was 30 the woman who played i can't remember the actress's name that played uh god what's her name in the movie the character's name uh, weird lady the weird lady and she was actually 39 while filming and meryl like gave a close guess as to her age so that's why she was like taking it back a little bit in that um in that scene <laughs> And she's like, I'm 70-something. And, like, so she offers Meryl's character, Madeline, the potion. And the potion costs different amounts of money for different people. And at first, Meryl was like... They never tell us yeah. how much. Meryl was like, I can't pay that much. And then she sees, like, an example of what it does. And she's like, okay, I'll, I'm, I'll be writing the check. And so she drinks this potion, and immediately her breasts are perky her butt is perky her skin is flawless she looks younger yeah so meryl is like definitely digitally yeah de-aged uh the whole rest of the movie and the lady says and now a warning and meryl's character is like now a warning <laughs> she's like take care of your body this is the only one you got um don't die it's pretty much the <laughs> only rule was don't die and, um, like, what did she do almost directly after this scene? Not her fault. Dies. <laughs> um, she gets, like, we see then it cuts to Ernest and Helen, like, talking about, like... What are they going to do to Madeline? No, they're talking about, like, oh, I still... He's saying, I still love you. I'm going to get... I'm going to divorce Madeline. But then we have... Um, Helen's saying you can't just divorce her. You gotta kill her. We gotta kill her. And we, they're like, we're gonna drug her, and then... <clears throat> we're gonna drug her, then we're gonna stage, like, a drinking and driving thing over a hill. And, like, this whole huge plan. And then Madeline gets home, <laughs> and what is he... They get into an argument, her and Ernest, and he pushes her. Well, he starts strangling yeah, her Yeah, starts first. strangling her first. Do you think that's what kills her initially? 
No, I think, think I think the stairs. Is the what stairs do, is it. what kills. And then she's like falling down the stairs, and he put, kind of pushes her down the stairs. Well, she. she uh, can I backtrack a little bit? I want to mention this because sure. this is kind of important too. As we get to later in the film, um, weird lady also mentions another rule to Madeline. Like you get ten years, and you got to keep it a secret, and then you got to get out of public life. So fake your death, do whatever, but stay out of public life. Yes. Um, so she's pushed down the stairs and um, Ernest freaks out. He calls Helen like, and she's just like, what part of the plan did you not understand? She got really mad at him because he's messed with the whole plan because it, it looks and she's t coaching him through like what to do and everything. And in the background while he's on the phone. We see oh, she's like Madeline. Mang she's like mangled on the she floor. She is mangled. You see her like putting okay. everything back together. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta say something about this real quick. I mentioned that there was a connection to Halloween yes. as well. Um, the way that the scene is shot it reminded me of so. Ernest is in the foreground on the phone and Madeline is like mangled on the floor way in the background. But as he's on the phone, as he has his back turned to her, she gets up and like twists her arms and like kind of contorts a little bit. And it reminded me a lot of that scene in Halloween, like that classic scene where Jamie Lee is uh, in the foreground and then Michael is in the background. She thinks he's dead and he like sits up and looks at her and then starts getting up and uh, moving towards her from the background so that's the halloween shot and then i upon further research realized that this movie and jurassic park and halloween all share the same cinematographer the legendary mentioned it multiple times on this podcast dean cundy dean cundy is the cinematographer for all of these movies that we adore brie he's probably the one dude we've mentioned the most on the podcast like uh, <laughs> a, a lesser known hero to the film industry dean cundy so it's got some cool connections to both of our favorite movies jurassic park and halloween it's a cool stuff i like, I absolutely love this scene. I was saying it's so nice to have the out-of-focus Madeline putting herself together while we're focused in on Ernest. And she comes up right behind him, and she's like... Her head's backwards. Like, her head is backwards. He's freaking out. It's like out. cool, creepy mix of... He's like, get away from me. Practical effects. He's like, get away from me. Blah, blah, blah. And then he takes it as like they're meant to be together because he takes her to the emergency room. When, she's dead. And she's dead. She like, doesn't have a heartbeat. She's cold. Like she's honestly dead. The The doctor who is looking at her has like a heart attack mm -hmm. in the because he and then Meryl's character, Madeline, ends up in the morgue because she faints. And then it's like she's... They think she's, she's dead. She, they think she's dead. And he's like, where's my wife? She's gonna be so mad. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought that was hilarious because she's in the morgue. And then he takes her home and like, because he's a mortician... Like fixes her he up. He fixes her up. He paints her. He does the formaldehyde to take out her blood and put formaldehyde in to keep her like, not from decaying. And 
all that stuff. And he makes her look really good. And then Helen comes over and he's like, oh, she's, she's here. She's wrestling upstairs. And, um, when she comes down the stairs, Helen's like, she's alive. And like, uh, they kind of, and Madeline finds out that they were planning, plotting her death and she gets angry about it. And she grabs a, like a shotgun and Ernest kind of looks like she shoots the crap out of Helen. She shoots Helen right in her midsection. And then Madeline and Ernest, Madeline's on Ernest, like you would be the one who had to go on the run because if they do, if I lay on the floor and they take my pulse, I'm dead. Mm-hmm. So like, so she blackmails him, blackmails him to help take care of the body. But little do we know that, Helen also took the eternal youth potion. But now she's dead. And now she's the living dead. <laughs> and so she's got this like gaping hole uh, in her in middle, her be- in her belly. And Ernest goes upstairs. He's like, he's done with it. Right. When both the women are fighting with so, the shovels. Oh, yeah. And stuff. So they, they start this like big fight scene where they're hitting each other with shovels. And it's very much like the computer generated effects of like my neck cracks or my uh, limbs are like all fucked up and <laughs> all, that, all that Well, sort you of have, stuff. and then we get the story of why these two women have this rivalry. Then they start talking. It's like when they were younger, Helen never invited Madeline to hang out with her friends because Madeline was like trashy. And then Madeline admits that, yeah, I was trying to hurt you on purpose because you hurt me first and this whole like toxic thing. And then they forgive each other. And Madeline's like, well, another like best friends. Yeah. Madeline's like, well, Ernest can make you look like how I look so that you look good. And she takes him upstairs and is like, Ernest, can you do this? And Ernest is like, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. Like he's done after he does Helen's like paint job and everything but the two women are like freaking out because they're like how do we get this man who's going to take care of us who's going to make sure we look good for the rest of our lives because we're going to live forever mm-hmm. so they try to trick Ernest into taking the well, they, potion. They, yeah they try to trick him but then when he doesn't do it and they knock him out and then they take him to the castle they take him to the castle the the weird lady tries to convince him to take the potion too, and he doesn't. He's like close, but then he he goes on this whole rant about like morality. He's uh, it's like, but you get to see, he's like you live forever, but you see everybody you love die. die. To which my question for you, and I was like, well, save it for the pod. Think about your answer. Would you take the potion? I don't know. I don't think I would because of the fact that like even if you, something were to happen to you and you die you're still like your consciousness still is living and you never get to like that eternal rest at, at some point i just gotta i just gotta kick the bucket and i gotta yeah, be gone i think there's something cool about like the aging process and if it's the human experience i mean i don't want to get old it's the human condition so it's like there's isn't there something beautiful about no, it like if you just completely beautiful. avoid it and you're alive like forever and ever and ever you miss out on what is the the human experience so i wouldn't take it also i wouldn't want to like it's tough to make friends brie <laughs> <laughs> i wouldn't want to have to do that every like 50 years or whatever um and also i wouldn't know how to hide it 
like at, at a certain point people are going to catch on you know what i mean yeah i guess well, at the party of all these pe- clients of this weird lady, you got Elvis, you got Marilyn Monroe, you got uh, Andy Jim, Warhol. Jim Morrison is there. So you have like James all... James Dean. You got all these like people. So we're supposed to... Because when they said like 10 years, fake your death, stay out of public life, we are supposed to get this notion that all these dead celebrities are actually immortal and have faked their death to get out of public life except for elvis who they chastise and they are like except for like one guy who just couldn't stay out of the newspaper because <laughs> you know how we have like these conspiracy theories that like people have seen elvis like driving a truck or something <laughs> they do that with tupac too like tupac was spotted in hawaii tupac get out of public li- the public get, eye get out of the public eye tupac um and then like there's this like chase that ensues with Ernest and he, he stole the potion. Yeah, he stole the potion. He like was running from dogs and he gets onto the roof where he like trips and he's like hanging off a gutter by his like suspenders. Mm-hmm. And the Helen and Madeline get there and they're like, Take the potion because even if you were to that's the only way you'll survive. If you fall at Yeah, but least then you're gonna be dead. Decaying and like gross. So he's like he chooses not to. And he falls, but then he crashes through the ceiling and into the pool, which I said, if this he was walks any, away without a scratch, if this was like normal, he would die. Like the yeah. impact on the water, he would die from that Some height. Fast and the furious. Like I fall from high heights and walk and away like nothing. He happened. walks away. He gets out of there. Right. And um, the Madeline and Helen meet with the weird lady. Weird lady's like, you need to take care of this. Like they go to the house. He's not there. And they're like, what do we do? We can't go back. It's, it's our problem. And then we do like a 37-year time skip mm-hmm. where we're at Ernest's funeral. And it's, they're talking about all the life begins at 50 because that's when Ernest met his wife. He had this many kids. He traveled the world. He was like a great source of everything for all the people he, like, around adopted him adopted a bunch of kids he adopted and... people and he would tell scary stories about the living dead in the the hollywood hills um and all this stuff and madeline and helen are in the back and they kind of like are bickering like an old married couple in yeah. the back and they're also like making fun of Ernest, and we're arguing about a spray paint can and they're leaving out the out the um, the church, um, and we have is it Goldie Hawn's character Helen who trips on the spray can? Yes, and she pulls. Man- well, they un- they're wearing like black veils for the and female. they like take them off and they're like, oh my god, disfigured. Yeah, like, like horribly pa- pa- horrible painting, and like you can tell that they've been like decaying and gross and their bodies aren't like holding up anymore so goldie hahn falls down the stairs and brings uh madeline with her and then they just like shatter they shatter into pieces <laughs> and then you have like this like hilarious moment where goldie hahn's character asks, do you remember where we parked the car so like what ha- i guess like the it's the wondering for me of like 
when do they die? They don't. That's the like they're gonna even if you're shattered, you're just like in a bunch of pieces and like still damned to live forever. That's why they were told to take care of their bodies. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't think I would want that. Yeah, that's why I think that was the big drawback for me. I was like, I can't ensure that I will live like be living forever because bad things happen to everybody. I mean, your body is uh, like so fallible. Your body can be just like easily butchered and destroyed. So to keep that like uh, uh, sacred for (laughs) a millennium is really tough to do i feel like i get scars like kaido jumps on me and i get cuts like my body's like all effed up because of that so we have to be real with ourselves here honestly i love this movie i think it's like one of my favorites from this time period from that weird era in the 90s where like anybody can make any kind of I, movie. I like it. I think like this could never be made now. And it's like it's horribly camp and I don't think audiences today would appreciate would appreciate it. the camp. Like we said the same thing about Beetlejuice. I don't think if Beetlejuice was made today if that was a concept that had never been brought up until 2022 I don't think it can be made in the same way today I would say, because audiences aren't into camp these days. I would say it's the same reason why I don't think the re like the uh, when they redid uh, Rocky Horror, mm-hmm. why that was not successful. Yeah, I was there's like a, because a you can't do about camp. like it's hard to do camp because audiences today want everything to be taken seriously and not i shouldn't say seriously but like with respect so like you can make the suicide squad make it funny but still treat your characters with respect it's not camp the suicide squad isn't camp guardians of the galaxy isn't camp but you're uh if it was made in 1992 it would have been do you know what i mean there's something special about like the idea of something being camp like not everything is camp but i feel like i think camp is in bad taste in modern day i think we can look back on camp and be nostalgic for it and say like oh for the time like it's so good but if death becomes her were to be made today in the same campy way i don't think it would be i would like taken to see seriously the, i would like to see this redone more seriously uh ebert and Sis- uh, siskel and ebert gave it two thumbs down they said uh, special effects are good, but the characters aren't, basically, is what they said. I would like to see this one redone. I think it would be interesting. I I don't think it would be as black comedy. I think if they did ever remake Death Becomes Her, whoever's take on it would be more serious and darker than... I, I said, let's make it again. Let's make it darker. And let's give these women a real reason to not like each other instead of just, like, fighting over this earnest guy. Yeah, I think we're over that in 22. It's like in pro wrestling when, like, the women's division has storylines. And it's... We talked about this when, like, the women's revolution was going on. That the storylines in WWE revolving the women are, I want to be the best rather than, you stole my husband. And here's, like, I I just... Let's let's have an honest conversation here. A lot of women operate under like girl code okay where it's like most women don't get involved with me- men on purpose that are with other women mm-hmm. 
Like, I know personally, I have no interest in a man who is already seeing someone else. Like, that's just like, it's rude. I mean, also, I will freaking kill you if you <laughs> even look at Anthony. I will freaking fight you. And I will. I will. I will come up to Anthony. I will kiss him on the lips while you're talking to him because I don't think you've you should be talking before. to him. <laughs> like, don't you dare flirt with my like soon-to-be husband. We were at a bar in college, and I was at the bar ordering a drink for myself and Bree. And, this, and a girl comes this, up to him this, to talk to him. Well, the girl him. was like sitting there, and she's like, she just like struck up a conversation. It was like small talk, and. Uh, you know me, I never pick up on anything. She she was flirting with I, him. I thought it was just nice and I was being nice and just like indulging in conversation. Um and then Bree just like walks up to me and kisses me on the mouth and takes me away. <laughs> I'm like, come on, Anthony, let's go. I yeah, I didn't pick up on that at all. I'm not good at Anthony doesn't that think stuff. he so here's Anthony's issue. Anthony doesn't think he's attractive, so that he operates under the assumption that no one is interested in him, so he never picks up when people are flirting with him. I think it's the same reason why he ghosted me when we first met for like a week. Because he I don't think he realized that I like was interested in him. Where I was like, okay, about right. I'm like, I need to tell this man, hey, I'm interested in you. <laughs> Where I went straight to like, I'm having, my sorority is having this semi-formal, will you go with me? Mm -hmm. And he was like, oh, I would love to go. And then we started hanging out and he pursued me quite purposefully. Yeah, we went to... Uh, we went on several dates. Several dates to the dining center. And he invited me out to parties. And I just remember telling my friends, I was like, he hasn't kissed me yet. Like, what is he waiting for? I was like, if he doesn't kiss me soon, like, I, I think I'm just going to have to, like, let it go. But he did. He was like, bye, Bree. He dropped me off at, like, the my... Um, dorm one day and he's like wait i have something i have one more thing and he like spun me around and kissed me and then walked away <laughs> i'm not good at these things honestly i was like after he kissed me I well went i don't have a lot of i guess i don't have like a lot of dating experience because like i was in a long-term relationship pr prior to meeting you i was only single for like a couple months and then i met you and i don't know now we're getting married. Now we're getting married. So he was doing something right. Marriage. Marriage. <laughs> I think I, I'm looking forward to our wedding. So let's get that out of the way. Yeah. Good. Uh, I'm just excited for it to be over, honestly. But I just can't wait to go on our honeymoon. I think that's what I'm looking forward to the most. Mm -hmm. All right. Let's wrap this crap up. So, so it doesn't make your list. It doesn't, but it does get an honorable mention. Cool, I feel like I'm cool. waiting. I have a Meryl movie that I have in mind for my list. Yeah, I think, uh, I don't think this is going to be the Meryl movie for me. I like it. Even though I liked it, yeah. I, I don't think this is going to be the Meryl movie for me. If I'm going to predict, because I, I feel like I haven't it, seen any of them, but I do think that I'm gonna based tell on you, what other people have said, what do you think is going to be the Meryl movie for me? I Well, I think the Meryl movie for me is The Devil Wears Prada. What do you think is going to be the Meryl movie for me? Probably The Devil Wears I, that's Prada. That's what I was going to say. I was gonna, I think that it's probably going to be the, Devil's wear, the Devil Wears Prada. She's really good in it. Mm -hmm. And she, the the person that the character is based off of, it's like everyone was like, yeah, this is like, this is like Meryl did this a great job. It's based off a true story, right? It's based off a, a real person. Is this the next movie 
on the Merrill list? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, I, I suppose that wraps it up for us. We're glad you're tuning in for us. T- tune in next week because we are going to cover our next Adam Sandler movie, which is... The Wedding Singer. One of my favorites and appropriate for the fact that we are getting married soon. Yes, sir. Um, you can check us out on social media at review. Um, is it review, review podcast, podcast one, one at gmail.com and review underscore pod? Yes. On Instagram. Instagram. You can follow Anthony on Twitter at GLDTV1. And if you want to how, get a hold of me, tell the people how they can find you. You have to go to a castle and meet with a eternal immortal Just, woman I, I i would have left it at eternal uh, <laughs> immortal woman and you have to um drink the potion and go to their fancy parties and that's where you'll find me because i am immortal so that's where i'll be because i'm invited to those every every spring yeah it's like an annual thing for me so mm-hmm. if you want to get a hold of me i'll be dancing with elvis cool yeah good stuff good stuff um all right we'll wrap it up Next week, we got The Wedding Singer coming for you. And the week after that, we're going to do The Devil's Wear Pro- Oh, God. The, the Devil Wears The Prada. Devil's Wears The Prada. Um, and that's going to be that. So thank you for listening. And rate us that five stars on whatever platform you're listening to. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. And come along with us next week as we go through The Wedding Singer. That's going to be it for us. I am Anthony. And I'm Bree. And this is the Review Podcast. That's it. Review Podcast. Yeah.